go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this evening. And um, I want to just share something that uh, it's maybe less of like a, like a talk or a sermon and more of like, um, I just want to share what's on my heart. And um, we're going we're gonna to be in John 15 um, and kind of go from there. Um, over the past week, as I uh, have been thinking about coming here and, and speaking, I've just been asking the Lord, like, what do you want to share with Bridgetown? You know, with this church, what do you want to do? And what do you specifically want to speak to? God, I'll, I'll just say whatever you want me to say. And I, I had this phrase just kind of running through my head over the past uh, week, and, and it was this. Alex, what does a heart, what does the heart of a disciple look like? What does the heart of a disciple look like? You can look on, on the outside of somebody and you might see them going to church, reading their Bible, helping the poor, giving their money. And you might be like, oh, that's a disciple. But what does the heart look like? What's the heart behind all of the disciplines? What's the heart behind all of discipleship? And he's just been showing me uh, this through uh, John chapter 15. But I think that this is important because um, how many of you guys have ever had friends who've walked away from the church because of the church? (laughs) Right? So uh, this is kind of funny, but um, so I'm a part-time bartender. Uh, So I, I work at our church that we planted, but I also work at this brewery. And so I'm like, pastor by day, bartender by night. Maybe a little bit romantic, I don't know. But anyway, um, <laughs> this regular came into the brewery the other day, and nobody knows who I am. It's amazing. I'm like incognito, and, and uh, people tell bartenders things that they should tell pastors, but they won't tell pastors, so I'm like, I got gotcha. you. And uh, so this gentleman comes in, and uh, we t- start talking about morality. We start talking about, you know, right and wrong and all this stuff. And I, I get a, a, very quickly, I learned that uh, this gentleman has a very different understanding of what I would call virtue and, and all of that, which is totally great. It's actually why I enjoy the job. So we start having this, this conversation. He says, you know, nothing is really wrong except for murder. Murder is wrong. I'm like, oh, I can get on board with that. Murder is pretty bad. And, and he said, except one other thing. I'm thinking, well, I can think of more than a few things that are wrong aside from murder, but okay, what is it? And he says, Christians. <laughs> Christians are what is wrong with this world. And he, said, and he starts to list out all the reasons why he's upset with Christians and all the things that Christians have done down through history and, and all of this. And, and I have to be honest, I just uh, agreed with everything. I thought, yeah. But... but I hope that you know, I didn't, actually, I should have said this, but I don't have the guts yet. Uh, I said, I hope you know, you're not rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting religion. What we're about to talk about tonight is the antidote to religion, the disciples' heart. Let's read verse 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God has tied his glory to our fruitfulness. I'm going to try over here. Um, (laughs) God has tied his glory to our ability to bear fruit. Where were you guys? <laughs> and what he's done is he's tied our fruitfulness to his presence. A- another way that we can think about this is like this. God will not be seen for who he is without a demonstration through our lives of what Jesus calls fruit. You want the world to see God? they're going to need to see your fruit first. But what does it mean to be fruitful? It's a pretty churchy word. Certainly a Jesus-y word. It's right here. Words of Jesus. Well, in the language of Genesis, all the way back at the beginning of the story, to be fruitful means to rule and to reign. How many of you guys know the story of Genesis? In uh, Genesis 1 verse 26, there's a vision statement given for all of humanity. For every person who's ever lived, there's your vision statement. You're, if you're sitting here tonight and you're wondering, what do I do with my life? What decisions do I make? Go to Genesis 1 verse 26. It's going to give you a 30,000 foot view of the vision over your life, which is this. It's to rule and it's to reign alongside of God for the flourishing of creation. That's the vision statement. Another way to to, to think about it is this. The vision statement for every human is to expand Eden. To, through partnership, hand in hand with the Father, to take what God has given you, the responsibilities you have, the relationships that you steward, the work that you do, the school you go to, uh, to take what you've been given and to actually increase it and cause it to flourish because of the relationship that you have with the Father. You were designed to rule the world with Yahweh. You, you're like, me? Yes, you were designed to rule the world with Yahweh. That is what the call on every human's life is. What we see with Adam and Eve in Genesis is that their ruling wasn't just authority, power given without the responsibility of relationship, it was in the context of walking in the cool of the day. Their ability to steward Eden, to expand its borders, to take the kingdom of God further was dependent on their ability to stay hand in hand with their father. But if you know the story, you know they didn't. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that humanity spread another kingdom, spread another rule, through the power of their agreement. The premise of Genesis chapter 3 is very simple. Agree with God and get his kingdom ever increasing. Agree with the enemy and get his. And every human 
has that same choice put before them. You have that choice put before you this evening. And we unfortunately know how the story went. Now, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, some of you know this, it's just, it's beautiful. God makes this promise that one day there's going to be another human who comes around and he will crush all that the enemy meant for evil. Just like that song we were singing, what the enemy meant for evil, you're going to turn around it for good. The only reason why we can sing that song is because God made a promise, however long ago, that there would be a human who walks hand in hand with him and spreads his rule, spreads his reign in such a way it gets contagious and you can do the same because of him. And all throughout the rest of the scripture, as you read through the rest of Genesis and you read through the rest of the Old Testament and on into the New, we get these uh, glimpses of who this human is going to be like. This human's going to be like Moses, who leads people out of slavery. This human is going to be like David, who rules a kingdom through intimacy. Um, he's, he, this human is going to be everything that Israel was intended to be, everything that humanity was intended to be. To be. So we get these hints and these notions all culminating to this moment when the mic drops and everyone is like, it's him. He's here. Jesus standing up in the synagogue. This is that moment. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is fruit? It's that. It's the sight coming to the blind. It's those who are oppressed demonically getting set free. It's those who are in bondage spiritually, emotionally, can't really live life without self-doubt and hatred and all of that. It's them stepping into their God-given identities. That's fruit. And what's important to know is that when Jesus does this, he's giving like an updated vision statement for all of humanity. This is what a disciple's vision statement is. Every disciple has the same call. Preach the gospel. Get people free. Heal people with illness. Release people from the demonic. Jesus sets a bar that every disciple after him is empowered to meet. If you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. In Matthew 28, he said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. In other words, you gave authority away, I got it back, now I'm giving it to you so that you can do the same things that I did. Baptize nations, make disciples of nations, bear fruit. Says this also, again Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, maybe you've read this before, yeah, that sounds really nice, Jesus-y language, hang on a second. Think about this. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us? Okay, so that means, here's what it means. We have been sent with the same mission and the same ability as Jesus. What else could it mean? As the Father sent Jesus, so we're being sent. The Father did not send Jesus and say, "Eh, you'll figure it out. No, the Father said, here's the vision, here's the mission, here's the Spirit. Walk in power, raise the dead, see impossibilities, bend their knees, 
to the will of heaven. But the question is how, isn't it? How do we live like Jesus? How do we bear that kind of fruit, right? I was, I was just, uh, did this little Q&A panel at uh, George Fox University, which is, any George Fox students in the house at all? Why aren't you at our church right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was at George Fox, I gave this, I, I was doing this little Q&A, and I was talking about this stuff, like, we're invited to live like Jesus, and this student came up to me afterwards, he said, okay, so something get this straight, you actually think we can do what Jesus did? I'm like, I don't think that, the scriptures think that. <laughs> I'm like, that's what it's saying. We've been sent, in the same way that he was sent. But How? How do we, in the language of the New Testament, bear that kind of fruit? Well, Jesus places our fruitfulness into the context of a relationship. A relationship that's very similar, metaphorically speaking, like a a, a grapevine has to a gardener. That's the kind of relationship we're to have with the Father. Look down your Bibles, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Our ruling, our reigning, our fruit is dependent upon our ability to get cut. You want to bear fruit? You got to get cut. Another way to put it is this. Our ability to die to self when the gardener comes to us and highlights what needs to to die, that ability will be directly related to the level of fruit we see in our lives. To the level of which we live in relation to what Jesus lived and did. Now maybe it sounds kind of ominous, but think about this. Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done. I was thinking about this, I was like, wow, Jesus, he's the first disciple. Jesus is the first disciple. He becomes our model for discipleship. I want to show you this. Um, How how many of you guys remember um, the story of Pentecost? Anybody know the story of Pentecost? Some of you guys know it. Basically what happens is right after Jesus leaves, he goes to be with the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit, and it, it, it makes such an impact on this group of people who are gathered together um, that they, they start kind of speaking in these other languages. They start kind of manifesting these kind of weird, uh, kind of weird behaviors, so much so that the, there's a group of people around them that look at them and they're like, look at these Jews, they're drunk. These are drunk Jews. Just, you know. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, time out. It's too early for that. That's later. Uh, he's like, they're not drunk. Here's what happened, and he gives this whole explanation of like, no, they have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's been poured out because Jesus came. It's the Spirit of Jesus, the same thing you're seeing. This is what Jesus lived with and what he had, and he's now given it to us. And there, there's this line as he's kind of giving this, this master um, uh, first really sermon uh, that we see in the book of Acts. There's this line that he says, and you know when you read something like a million times, and then the millionth and oneth time that you read it, it's like, I've never, I've, I've never seen that. I've never seen that before. What, what is that? Um, here's, here's what the, the phrase is. Peter says this, God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, is that news to anybody? Yeah. It, 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 I didn't think it was news until I realized what it meant. 
What it meant is I had, this, I had this thought that Jesus raised Jesus from the dead, but the reality is that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. What does that mean? That means that Jesus saw his job was not the resurrection. His job was the dying. So, Jesus is the first disciple. It, he sets an example for me to follow. What is it? It's my job to do the dying. It's God's job to add everything else. It's my job to seek first the kingdom. It's God's job to add whatever he sees fit to add to my life. It's my job to die. It's his job to make me live. What Jesus is teaching us right here is not foreign to his life. It's through his life, which means that it can be through ours as well. We've been given the same spirit. And what it means is that the more that we live like that, my job is to die, his job is to resurrect, the more fruit we're going to bear. Verse 2 says this, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. For the disciple, we need to remember all growth is rewarded with pruning. All growth in your life is going to have, there's a reward that's going to come and it's going to be more pruning. <laughs> Isn't that an incredible reward? In your life, you're like, you're like God, I, I, I'm actually loving reading the Bible. He's like, awesome, I need you to die in some more places. Come on over here and I got to cut you. You're like, whoa. Um, all growth is rewarded with pruning. My, my mother-in-law at their old house, they had these grapevines, and uh, they had planted these grapevines along a fence, and the vines kind of grew along the fence. And uh, One day I'm walking through the backyard, and I, I walk past these grapevines. I think, oh, they probably have grapes. They're grapevines. So I, I walk up to them. I'm kind of looking for the, for the grapes, and, you know, where are the grapes? What, what's going on? And, and I'm like, wow, this thing is so huge. I can't find any grapes on it. So I walk over here, and, and oh, there's no, no grapes there. There's just big leaves, and just it's this huge pile of leaves, basically. And I, th- I thought, why is that? It's a grape vine. Shouldn't it have, I don't know, grapes? But I found this out because of Google. <laughs> grapes, when they are not cut, they will take all of their energy, and rather than using it to produce fruit, they extend themselves beyond their ability to be fruitful, and they just produce a bunch of leaves and extend themselves as far as they can without any fruit. Think about the metaphor. Christians do the same thing. When we do not submit ourselves to being cut, Lord, cut me here. I'll die here, Lord. When we don't do that, we get larger and more religious and we focus on things that are not the main priority and we produce less and less fruit. Over the summer, the reason why this has been on my heart is I just have found myself in just this intense season of discipleship, just being discipled by uh, Jesus and uh, by, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, how many of you guys understand there are different seasons that we're in? Um, Jesus, uh, or at one point in the Old Testament, Elijah is running away from Jezebel after fighting just this incredible battle, calling fire down onto the sacrifice. It's just this great story. You'd think you'd have all the courage in the world, but he gets terrified and he runs away. And God, rather than being like, hey, why do you have that fear in your life? I'm going to cut that fear out of your, your life. You know, bring it to me. You know what he does? He says, here's some food. Here's a place to sleep. 
Why don't you take a nap and have a good meal? There are seasons of our lives where um, the way that God disciples us is by just uh, pouring out his abundance. Uh, when my wife and I, we went on a, we had a sabbatical last summer, and we went to France for a few weeks. Um, that was a season, people were like, did you read any good books while you were there? I'm like, I just kind of hung out by a pool and let the Lord love on me. It was pretty great. It was just a season. It was a season. It's like, you don't need to prep a message. You don't need, you just get to sit there and just, I'm going to love on you. But, but there are also seasons um, Jesus says that the, the kingdom of heaven is taken by force. What does that mean? There's another type of season that we can go through where it's time for us to get focused on discipleship. It's time for us to think about bearing fruit. It's time for us to kind of engage and, and go after some things with the Lord. Um, and, and I've been in one of those seasons over the summer. And so each morning I had this phrase just kind of going through my head. And here's the phrase. You can only live, Alex, where you've died. You can only live where you've died. And so I just with that thinking, wow, there's a lot of places I haven't died and there's a lot of places that I want to live. And so I, I remember I'm just, I'm waking up and I'm, and I'm writing out my daily honesty. I'm going, God, here, here's how I honestly feel. Has anybody ever lied to themselves before? <laughs> I have. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to be honest. So I'm writing my daily honesty out and I'm just saying, God, you know, here's honestly how I feel. And, and what the Lord would do is he would bring up, he'd say, behind that, there's actually a fear. You're afraid of something. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, this is the case. Behind every fear in my heart, there's always something that I've placed above my trust in God. And so he's like, oh, you don't trust me here, and you want this to happen, and so you're afraid that if you were to give this over to me, it would just die and there wouldn't be any resurrection. Am I the kind of God who just lets things die without resurrection? I'm like, no, you're the kind of God who brings resurrection. Okay, so, and so I'd just be going, you know, through these things. And what I would do is I would just, I, I would look at the, pl- the, the character issue, the, the uh, problem that I'm facing, and I would go, I would get in my imagination, I'd go, what would, what would my life be like? What kind of life would I have if I could just die right here? I can only live where I've died. Okay, so God, I need you to cut this right here. I need you to prune me. I need you to come along so I can have victory. Cut me here. See, uh, God wants you to get answered prayers. That's what we learn from this passage is that God actually wants you to bear fruit. He wants to answer your prayers. And the model in which he's, that he's given us to get answered prayers is this model. It's, it's this whole process. It's this discipleship. Have you guys ever read a passage in the Bible and thought, that has to be blasphemous. That, that cannot mean what I think it means. You ever done that? Um, this, is one of those, this is one of those verses, verse 7. It says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you? Really? I don't know about that. Whatever I wish? This, verse 8, is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. God has designed life so that his glory is tied with our fruitfulness. We have, um, it's funny, I don't know how we got this, but uh, in the church we have this kind of worldview where uh, we think that if we just look lesser, if we look worse, somehow it makes God look better. Can you imagine a father like this? Like, um, I grew up playing basketball, and uh, can you imagine, I'm, I'm, you know, in high school, I'm in a basketball game, and I look over and I'm like, my dad's here. This is awesome. I'm going to take the three-pointer. I'm not normally a perimeter guy. I got to get closer, but 
I'm going to take the three-pointer. And so I shoot it, and I break it. Can you imagine a father who would then stand, in the, stand up with all the other parents and go, see, <laughs> he totally stinks. I'm way better. I would have made that. <laughs> what? So why do we think the same thing about God? God is glorified by you being amazing. God is glorified by you being awesome. God is glorified by you actually entering into this kind of relationship where you get pruned and you bear fruit as a result. He's glorified because of it. He's seen who we, we, we see who he really is through that. It's God's desire that you're fruitful. Now, in this context, uh, this metaphor of fruit is, it's a metaphor for answered prayer. Look back down at your Bibles, verse seven says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, that's prayers, right? Asking God, petitioning God, and it will be done for you. Verse eight, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What's the fruit? It's when you asked whatever you wished, and it was done. It's to his glory. Have you ever been confused about this passage? It's like a show of hands. You've been confused about this passage before? I have. Um, And the reason why is because I have asked for a lot of things I've wished and haven't gotten them. Anybody else? Um, So I think we actually need to break this down to see what is going on. I think there's something a little bit deeper. Now, Jesus, in this passage, he starts with this relationship where he says, you're supposed to remain in him. So that's the first step. We have to remain in him. You want answered prayers? You've got to remain in him. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's it's live a presence-based lifestyle. You guys have heard of Brother Lawrence before? Brother Lawrence was a monk, and, and everything that he did, he tried to host God's presence. He tried to practice God's presence in such a way so, so that it, it was just amazing. People would travel to uh, watch him wash dishes. He washed dishes in such a way and, and, and hosting God's presence and, and being intentional in, in his work and, and working hard and all of that. He was so mindful of what is God's presence up to. This is what we're invited into. Remain in me. What Jesus is saying is as you go throughout your day and you have that conversation Be presence-minded. God, what are you saying about this person? As you go throughout your work, it's not just, this is the nine-to-five grind that I'm doing. It's, okay, God, you've invited me to remain in you. God, what are you saying about this moment? What are you doing in this moment? How would you have me behave because you're with me, right? So it's this presence-based lifestyle. And then he says this. Jesus says, and let my words remain in you. So we're remaining in him. And he's like, while you're remaining in me, I want my words to remain in you. What does that mean? Well, what do God's words do? Genesis chapter 1, his words, what, it, what we get from that is that when God speaks, a world comes into being. So he, he has the words of life. What does Jesus say? Um, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every what? Word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. I'm alive because he speaks. I'm alive because he speaks. So he says, remain in me, presence-based lifestyle. Let my life-giving word remain in you. Give shape to your person. Let live off of my words like you would live off of bread. But what else does the word of God do? It prunes us. It cleans us. Look up at verse 3. He says this, you were already speaking to his disciples clean. In Greek, that word is cut. You were already, you've already been pruned because of the what? The word I have spoken to you. Okay, so here, here, you have to kind of get the whole picture. We're, we're remaining in him, presence-based lifestyle. God, what would you do in this situation? Do in this situation. Give me your heart for this per- person. 
God, also shape my inward person with your words. Give me life. I'm gonna gonna stay in the scriptures. I'm gonna live off of your word and cut me deep, Lord. Cut me wherever you need to cut me with your word. Clean me, Lord. When our priority is staying with his presence, allowing his words to cut and bring life, the result will be answered prayer. Here's here's the point of, of the passage. Requests or prayers made from his presence, living off of his words, get answers. Requests or prayers made from his presence, that kind of a relationship, living off of his words, they are going to get answers. I was recently uh, having lunch with a friend. I, ha- I hadn't seen this guy in about four years, and he's uh, completely walked away from Jesus. He was once following Jesus, isn't following him anymore, kind of did the whole deconversion thing. Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust God? Definitely don't trust the church. All of that. And um, I was just kind of curious, and I was asking him questions about, you know, well, what exactly happened? And tell me the story and all that. And he said this. And it really stuck with me. He said, I have prayed to God for things thousands of times. I can't think of one time that he's ever answered one of my prayers. I have asked for thousands of things, and I can't point to one thing that he's ever done for me. God answering our prayers is a big deal, isn't it? It's relationship. We need it. It's the, it's the back and forth. But prayers from relationship, not outside of relationship, prayers from relationship say this, God, I request that you do this, but not at the expense of our relationship. I request it from all that I know about who you are and what your intentions are, but if I misunderstood or if I've asked for something that you're actually trying to prune out of me, then I place my desire to remain in you above my desire for this specific thing to happen. I will not violate my relationship with you in order to get what I want, but I will trust that my relationship with you will be what bears more fruit than me trying to go out and get whatever it is on my own. See, um, discipleship is about submission. Oftentimes, the way that we do discipleship, um, it's, 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 it's not us submitting ourselves to God until that issue is cut out of our lives. It, it looks more like this. It's more like, I can't believe that I have this character flaw, and I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, gosh. I can't believe that, that, that this thing is coming up in my life. I thought I took care of that. Ah. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of this. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of this. And as we get more and more introspective, we spiral downwards into hopelessness. I would argue that anything in our lives that we do not have hope about is under the influence of a lie. Anything in our lives that we do not feel hopeful about is under the influence of a lie. It is not God's will for us. He leads us from glory to ever-increasing glory, and it is his desire that he would lead us into ever-increasing hope as well for what he's intended to do. Hope is a reflection of trust, always. Uh, when I first started following Jesus, I was incredibly zealous. I was, I was 17 years old. I would like, I was annoying. I, I would tell everybody about Jesus, and I just had this, um, I just had this, uh, this like vigor in my life that I was like, I'm going to bear 
so much fruit with the life that you've given me, Lord. So let's do this thing. And so what I would do, I knew, I knew, okay, God, you want purity and you want power. It's not one or the other. They go together. And so I remember I, as a young man, I'm 17, 18, 19 years, 19 years old, I would, I would take a journal and I would write out all of my character flaws that I knew of at the time. Ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, <laughs> I would write them all out. I'd be like, and I lie because I'm insecure, and if I were to tell the truth, I'd be afraid that people wouldn't actually love me, and I have this issue, and I have this issue, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm so insecure, and all this stuff, and I'm like, man, this is making me more insecure as I write all these things out, and, um, and I would just spiral downward. What you notice about that method of discipleship is the, that the focus, it begins and it ends with me. When that is the case, often I've found that I go into this downward spiral of hopelessness faced with the, with the significant gaps between who I am and who I want to be. I find it impossible to actually change, let alone be fruitful. So let me ask you this question. What's the job of a branch? What's the job of a branch? J- branches have one job, and it's to receive the nutrients that the roots pull up for them. That's the one job, it's to receive. You should do a word study sometimes, just look throughout the New Testament, all the, moment, all the times that the word receive is mentioned. A lot of your Christian life is based on your ability to receive. What is the job of a gardener? Gardeners, they prune, they cut, they plant, they rearrange, they, their job is to make a beautiful garden. Why do, we, why do we get those roles mixed up in our lives? We're not the gardeners. Practically, this is what it, this has meant for me. Um, I, I know this isn't for everybody. This is a choice that I've made. Uh, and so I'm not even saying, like, this is what you should do, but this is the choice that I've made. I've just made a commitment to the Lord that I will never get introspective. I will never get introspective. It's not my job. The Bible says this. His word is like a two-edged sword. So what I say is, God, rather than getting introspective, I'm going to stay in your word every day. Cut me deep where I need to get cut, Lord. The scriptures say, wounds of a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. So God, rather than getting introspective, I'm going to stay in community. I'm going to listen to what my wife says there. I can't tell you how many times, you know, come home from church and she says, hey, you know, when you said this, I don't think that was really the right thing to say. Or hey, when you acted this way, and you know what my job is then? Wow, wounds from a friend. I need to get close to that so that I know what needs to be taken out of my heart. The scriptures say that God's presence is like a refiner's fire. So God, I'm going to do everything I can to stay in your presence so that you can burn away from me what doesn't belong. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stay God-focused. He's my leader. He's my shepherd. I'm the sheep. My job is to deliver myself over to him every day to get pruned, to get cut. We have to realize that God wants us to be fruitful more than we want to be fruitful. You believe that? God actually is more interested in you bearing fruit. It's for his glory than even you are interested in bearing fruit. Verse 7 again, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We are known as God. Let me back up. God is glorified through this process and we are shown to be disciples through this process. Are you in the process? 
Or has your life become just a repeating of rituals, doing, saying, thinking what everybody else has done, said, or thought before within the church? He's looking to do something new with you. He's looking to prune you in a way he's never pruned a plant before so that you bear fruit that we've never seen before. He's designed each and every one of you uniquely to bring something unique to bear on his bride. And when we opt out of this process, we opt out of the bride seeing what it's never seen before. So it's the daily. Cut me, Lord, with a word that, that the world may know who you are through the fruit of my life. I want to just speak to you as a church uh, in general. Um, uh, as kind of an outsider's perspective, I you know, obviously kind of grew up here and... Uh, um, learned how to teach here, learned, learned so much here. Um, but, but as an outsider's perspective, I just think there's something uh, that I, I just feel like I'm supposed to say to you guys in this season. Um, Bridgetown Church, you are a global force. I can't tell you how many times I'm on another church's website and I'm looking at their teaching series and I'm like, Bridgetown did that last year. <laughs> Whenever Bridgetown makes a decision of, to go after something, thousands of churches follow along. Why? Because God has designated this church designated John Mark to lead a movement. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's really incredible to watch. You as a church are in a beautiful time of doing the disciplines of Christ. So with this heart of a disciple, my job is to die. His job is to resurrect. Do the disciplines with vigor. Do them to the glory of God that he would be glorified and that the world would see the fruit of the kingdom because of it. I want to encourage you to recommit to this lifestyle of submission to the gardener. If you're not in a Bridgetown community, get in a Bridgetown community. They have basics coming up. That's where a lot of this pruning is going to happen. Wounds of a friend, that's where it's going to happen. Presence, hosted presence of God every single week outside of a Sunday gathering, that's where that's going to happen. Get into a community. If you've been coming to this church and you're like, oh, the music is cool, I like it. Look, I don't work at this church, so I can say this. Become a disciple. Stop spectating. I know, look, I've never told anybody that. I don't think I've ever shared this before. When I was uh, 17 years old, I became a Christian because of John Mark. He was leading a college ministry out over by Washington Square at the time. And uh, when they planted Bridgetown, I was, I, I was then 19 years old, and I remember I'd come to Bridgetown because it's amazing. This place is incredible. The teaching's amazing. The worship's amazing. It's, it's really a special place. And I remember I'd sit right up there, and I didn't know anybody. Don't be like me. Go to basics. Make this family. Church is not a spectator sport. Church is an opportunity to step into a story that's bigger than your story and find yourself doing things and seeing impossibilities bend their knees to King Jesus. It's an incredible privilege that you guys have. There's people, I, I, I see on the Instagram every now and there's people across the nation who are like, if only I lived in Portland. Don't waste the opportunity. If you don't follow Jesus and you're here tonight, this is what is on offer. God made the world. He sent Jesus to start a movement where ordinary, very unqualified people can see uh, the kingdom come through their lives by the Holy Spirit. Follow Jesus. If you're a disciple here tonight, recommit to that, that heart of a disciple. Thank you for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. 
We are in the middle of a year-long capital campaign to raise money to buy a building on the inner core, an old, beautiful, historic church building about a mile from where we meet right now. If you have been blessed at all by this podcast and would like to give to that over and above your regular giving to your church, wherever you call home, we would love to have you participate in that. Feel free to visit bridgetown.church/give for more information. Thanks for listening.